Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology. There was nobody who understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. You're listening to Talking Biotech, the weekly podcast illuminating issues in agriculture and medical biotechnology. Your questions and concerns are answered using a science-based approach with the goal of driving innovation to application with communication. Now here's your host, Dr. Paul Vincelli. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss contemporary issues in science and technology with a focus on biotechnology and new innovations that help people and the planet. I'm Paul Vincelli, sitting in for Dr. Kevin Falta, and today we're going to talk about research in biotechnology and plant improvement here at the University of the Republic in the College of Sciences. With me today is Dr. Sabina Vidal. She's an assistant professor in the Laboratory of Plant Molecular Biology. And Sabina, welcome. It's great to have you. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for the invitation. Sure, it's our pleasure. So um, first of all, maybe I'll mention to our listeners that um, that you, you and I are interacting um, by uh, co-teaching a course in uh, genetic engineering of plants here in Montevideo, Uruguay. And um, and uh, so, in fact, you gave the uh, the the, uh, the 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 lecture on uh, genome editing and did a fabulous job. So, uh, how we have graduate students, some of your own graduate students, and we have other participants. Um, how do you think that course is going so far? I think it's very nice because there are people from different. Uh, Areas. There are people from uh, working at the authorities that are controlling uh, transgenic uh, plants or, or food derived from transgenic plants. Then there are people that are students in molecular biology. And, uh, well, I, I think it's quite a nice group that uh, have dif- different uh, points of view on the area. So... Mm-hmm. I think it's very nice. Yeah, it's been great. In fact, today we talked about regulation, which we're going to continue later in the week, and we had some very good discussion, very good um, perspectives, always from a scientific standpoint, but um, really good discussion today. So, yeah, I'm I'm glad you're enjoying it and feel it's been useful. It has, has certainly been for me. So maybe a good start is always to give listeners some background in your interests generally in plant science or in science. Uh, how did you get into plant science, first of all? Uh, by mistake, <laughs> probably. Well, I, I, I'm a biologist, and like most biologists, uh, started biology because 
you want to go after whales or sea air or some kind of animal it's, it's, it's just like that uh, there is very di- um, I had actually no interest in plants when I started <laughs> Uh, but then I, um, well, I got interested into molecular biology and uh, I started to work in a laboratory that had a project together with the, with the department in, in Sweden, in mm-hmm. Uppsala, in the Uppsala Genetics Center. And they, they, um, they had, I mean, they, this project actually involved uh, people from all over Latin America and then uh, from Sweden. So um, I got the opportunity to go to Sweden at the beginning to. to and you were at that point. Uh, you were a uh, sorry. Which level? I was uh, finishing my 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 career as a biologist. So the the bachelor's degree, the equivalent yeah, of the bachelor's. Exactly. Okay. I, I was very young. Actually, I was around twenty twenty one years old. So. Um, so I got to 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 go to Sweden. To, to make a short stay, and then when I was there, I was offered to, to do a PhD there. So uh, this project was about um, plant pathology, I would say. It was in, in potato, and, and, and uh, the idea was to, um, to identify some uh, uh, viruses that were infecting potato and... Uh, inserting into the genome of potato the um, some virus sequences to to make a, a resistant potato. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was very early. It was ninety one. Okay. So. Yeah. Uh, but when I when I got into uh, when I got to Sweden and then I started my PhD, I, I switched uh, area because mm-hmm. that was not the main interest, interest in, in the lab where I was working. Okay, so you switched, you switched to an animal system? Or no, 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 no. I just I switched to, to another uh, topic within uh, plant uh, molecular biology, okay. I would say. Okay. okay, so you were hooked at that point. Yeah. Uh, and it, took a, it, it just took a plant pathogen, right? You yes, know, so. I, t- <laughs> I took a bacteria this time. Yeah. <laughs> first okay. started with a virus and then it continued with a bacteria, but... Uh-huh. I was I was working from the plant side. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, that was it. I mean, I I I spent many years in Sweden doing my PhD, mm-hmm. um, and then I did a, a postdoc also in, in in another laboratory in Sweden. I went back to potato in my my postdoc. Mm-hmm. And uh, always uh, uh, with uh, working in implant uh, diseases. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Wow, I didn't. I didn't know that. I know you've known a lot about plant disease. That's my Different. that's my background, but I oh. didn't continue with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I see. oh, I spent many years, and I'm actually very interested in in, in the area. And when I read something about it, I I feel like it, I. I, I feel comfortable with the area, sure. although I, I didn't uh, uh, continue when I came back to Uruguay. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to start my somehow my own own research. Yeah. 
and and well i switched to other kind of diseases in plants but not those that are caused by a by a pathogen but by by the environment okay so abiotic stresses in yeah. this case right i yeah. i work with abiotic stress okay yes. and and just i realized i used a, a term that may not be familiar to some listeners abiotic stresses would include uh, the non-living causes of stress on plants such as heat or or cold or drought or excessive moisture, salt, and so on. So, so I uh, I have been focusing mainly on on drought. Oh, okay. On drought. Okay. And you work with soybeans, or do you also work with other crops? And nowadays, I work with soybeans. Mm-hmm. When I when I came back from Sweden, I I uh, I worked a little bit with potato uh, because I. I got a project fu- funded by by the Third World Academy of Sciences, uh, which was very useful for me to to kind of um, set up the the laboratory here, oh, sure. yeah. and uh, and that was to work with potato. Mm-hmm. Um, then, uh, well, Uruguay, unfortunately. Uh, stop being a, a, a country that that can um, apply for for funding to these kinds of, of, yeah. of, of agencies that yeah. fund uh, third world countries. I mean, yeah. we are somehow considered not non third world yeah. anymore. Yeah. So we well uh, after that, I I mean, there was basically all the possibilities of of uh, foreign uh, funding was were. Uh, finished after this uh, third world academy of science which were was very useful for us yeah 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 so you you've uh, i guess the good news is uruguay has risen ab- above the <laughs> threshold of being a developing country uh, as as however that's defined by however whatever organization and now that you're you've risen to that and i see quality of life that i think is certainly very impressive in where i go but uh the downside is that funding opportunities for Science that helps in development are no longer available. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's the yeah that's the downside. So how long have you been at the, um, the University of the Republic? I, uh, I came in the year two thousand, so it's sixteen years. Okay. Quite okay. a lot now. Right. Right. Good. And so you mentioned um, that you work on uh, drought stress and uh, mostly soybeans. I guess I understood. What um, what would what, what, what tell us about your work in that area? Um, I I started to work with soybeans in the last uh, five years, I think five six years, uh, and uh, that was um, because uh, the European Union uh, created a, um, a program that funded five six years ago um, certain groups. Uh, that would ha- uh, work. Uh, that would create a, a collaboration between uh, all the countries that uh, that are part of the Mercosur. Which uh, the Mercosur is is like um, uh, I don't know how to explain. So Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay. Exactly. Okay. So the southern countries of the South southern America. Southern countries and is the um, economic uh, organization for the southern countries. Mm-hmm. So um, the European Union then uh, created this pro- program that is called Bio- Biotech, Biotech mm-hmm. Sur, I mean South, okay, South, right. South Biotech, mm-hmm. it would be. Okay. Uh, and that was the European Union, I think you said. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And 
that was to promote uh, collaboration in some specific issues that each country had to decide uh, which uh, issue uh, should uh, um, pri prioritize. To be priority. Yeah. Pri priority, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. So they funded uh, five projects that involved the, the four countries. One of them was in soybean, and, and the main uh, problems of soybean in the regions are certain uh, diseases, uh, some of them caused by... Uh, specifically by, by some fungus. Mm -hmm. And uh, on the other hand, it's, uh, it's drought. Drought, mm -hmm. drought is the main uh, cause for, for economic losses in, in the region because the mm -hmm. soybeans are, are uh, grown during summer. And uh, summer periods in, in these areas are... Uh, they, I mean, they suffer... Uh, Small, maybe small periods of drought, but uh, but always. Mm, okay. So it's not it's not this is not a this desert, desert area. Right. But 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 the, the but these um, occasional drought periods are very very harmful for mm -hmm. for this crop because normally they occur uh, during the stage where they are filling the grain or they are producing the grain or. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, mm. and it's, uh, for example, last year we lost about eighty percent of of the of the production of soybean due to uh, drought. Eight, eight zero, eighty percent. Yes, yes. Oh, wow. We, we yes. had basically nothing, and, wow. and, and and what was left was all infected by fungus because <laughs> during the in the moment that 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 the the grain had to be. Uh, Harvest, yeah. harvested. Uh, yeah. the, then they started the the rain. Oh, so, so you had mold, molds on the grain. We had molds on the twenty yeah. percent left. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. So yeah. So um, and and I should point out that Uruguay is uh, now to our you know Brazil and Argentina are major producers of soybean. Um, but uh, but Uruguay is a very substantial producer as well. So they, this is a very important crop for Uruguay. It's nowadays the first crop okay. in okay. Uruguay. So you are doing um, some molecular biology work, and uh, prob probably quite a bit, actually, given your knowledge. Um, what, are, what are you doing in this area of, uh, or have you done, uh, in, uh, in the area of drought tolerance and, and, and uh, soybeans? Um, well, the, what we have done is that after this uh, project funded by the European Union was uh, finished, mm -hmm. we created a network within Uruguay where there are um, institutions like uh, uh, all of them are public institutions, but but they, uh, they, that delete. Mm -hmm. go back. Okay, so we're going to go back and start yeah. start again. Okay. Okay. So what we have um, created nowadays is a network that is uh, composed by uh, several institutions, uh, research institutions and also um, producers that are all working together in uh, solving or kind of improving certain aspects of soybean uh, breeding. 
So we have, for example, the the main program for breeding program of soybean that is involved in this in this network that we created. Then we have uh, other uh, other laboratories laboratories within the university, uh, especially in the agronomy uh, faculty, and uh, also we have five uh, national uh, companies that produce soybean and all of them uh, in, uh, are uh, all of them uh, are participating in this uh, network that uh, for research in soybean so for the first time we have access to all the genotypes of soybean that are uh, coming out from the from the uh, breeding program that we can compare uh, we have for example all the facilities for phenotyping these uh, uh, genotypes mm -hmm. and uh, we have access to uh, to varieties that behave uh, in a different way in a specific situations so we have varieties that are much more tolerant to drought than okay. others okay so the variety all varieties of soybeans it's all varieties of soybeans so yeah. what we uh, this has um, speed up a lot the mm. research because we can compare from the genetic point of view these varieties and and find out which genes are behave different between these varieties mm -hmm. That's what one one of the things that we're doing this trans, uh, transcriptomic uh, profiling of, mm -hmm. of several varieties in okay. different conditions. Okay. Then we have access to the genotyping of these varieties. We have we are now in collaboration with INIA. We are and INIA is the uh, National Institute for Agricultural Technology or something similar to that would would be the translation. So, exactly. Okay. Exactly. So federal organ um, yes. institution. Um, they they um, they are now genotyping to find uh, molecular markers that that can distinguish between these varieties, mm -hmm. and what we have found specifically is uh, a number of genes that we believe that they are uh, partially involved in this uh, drought mm -hmm. tolerance response. Mm -hmm. okay. Some of these genes, uh, when they are uh, expressed. They uh, induce, for example, sen senescence uh, responses mm -hmm. in plants. Mm -hmm. So we found many genes that are um, that are uh, responsible for the plant death mm -hmm. in response to to drought. To drought, yeah. That are activated in the susceptible varieties and are are not activated in the Oh, okay, yeah, because you wouldn't want a crop to go to sleep and senesce and die no. before it's produced the, the grain. So, so I, yeah, I see what you've done. You've done here is identify genes that are active in the senescence response, yes. and and not active in the in the plants that uh, that are tolerant to drought. Exactly. Wow. So, uh, those genes of some of these genes, we are now testing them if they could be a good targets for generating mutants there by by genome editing okay and uh, and by knocking them out mm -hmm. uh, see if we improve or delay or uh, delay uh, plant uh, plants in essence in response to drought right okay or and at the same time 
uh, improve uh, drought tolerance without what we have to see is without a, a yield penalty right or some other uh, loss of some quality that you exactly. need yeah so so just for the listeners to repeat I'd like to recap some of the key points so you are you've identified genes that that are potentially good targets to do what you call a knockout and mm-hmm. some people know what that is but for those that don't that means you 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 go in and make some genetic change it could be very small genetic change um, to suppress the action of that gene and uh, and see if it does, in fact, confer dis- uh, drought tolerance. And you also mentioned genome editing, which is, uh, for those who may not know, it's it's really sort of the exploded the uh, the possibilities in all branches of, of biology. Uh, it's a technique that's worth learning about if you haven't already. So, um, so why don't we take a break at this point? We'll, and uh, we're talking to Dr. Sabina Vidal, an assistant professor in the Laboratory of Plant Molecular Biology at the University of the Republic in Montevideo, Uruguay. And uh, thank you all for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Kevin Folta. And this is Paul Vincelli. And we're here talking about the next generation of potential opportunities with the Talking Biotech podcast. And we have a very special invitation for you. (laughs) Okay, so here's the deal. What we're looking for is to expand the opportunities of using this vehicle to expose more people to the opportunities within science communication. How do you build your brand by potentially hosting a Talking Biotech episode? Hosting a Talking Biotech episode accomplishes many things for me. One is I learn more about a topic that I'm interested in. And uh, two is that I develop some skills on science communication and do it in a way that's really quite friendly and interactive. So how you do it is really simple. All you need to do is identify someone you would like to talk to, learn something about what they do, make the interview time to talk to them and have the conversation. It's really simple. You do that, send us the audio files, and I'll take care of the rest. And uh, I'll offer myself to mentor somebody who wants to, uh, you know, stick their toe in the water and try it out. And in the days of standing up for science, there's no better way for you to stand up for the science you enjoy and that you would like to communicate to others than to share those important stories. And use this platform to talk about what you're interested in. So think about it. It's a uh, wonderful opportunity, and we're excited to extend it to you. And now back to the Talking Biotech Podcast. And we're back on the Talking Biotech Podcast with Dr. Sabina Vidal, an assistant professor of plant molecular biology at the University of the Republic in Montevideo, Uruguay. By the way, I I didn't mention this before, but um, this is my third time in Uruguay, and I, I really, I really am fond of Uruguay. Uh, the people, the food, the way they speak Spanish is, is quite unique, and uh, to my ear at least. And uh, um, the the beso uruguayo, the the Uruguayan kiss, the way you greet people is you actually give them sort of an air kiss, cheek to cheek. You know, it's just marvelously a charming country. I really enjoy it. <laughs> So yeah. So I I I I noticed that you have uh, also kind of um, 
taken some of the normal words that we use, like uh, this barbaro and some of yeah, the expressions yeah. that are quite unique here and that yeah. we don't even share with the Argentinians that <laughs> they think that we, um, we, are a, we are a province from Argentina, but we have some, some small differences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so maybe in, someday I'll be an honorary Uruguayan. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. <laughs> Well, so before the break, we uh, you mentioned uh, genome editing as a way to um, to uh, evaluate for improvement of, of soybean against uh, drought stress. What, what, and, and in fact, you gave a, a wonderful two hour lecture on genome editing uh, in our cl- joint class and uh, last week. And uh, so, tell us about your plans and your current work and your plans for your work with genome editing. Well. Uh, this technique, what, what it uh, allows is to, that you can make a precise, specific uh, modification of the DNA in, a, in, in any kind of plant. Um, so we, are, we can be much more accurate when we, when we plan to modify something in mm-hmm. a way. Mm-hmm. So very, it's a very, tar- I'm sorry I interrupted, uh, but a very targeted Technique in terms of your ability to make changes, specific changes, and where. Exactly, and uh, know that not that I think that is important. Sometimes, uh, it, in my opinion, it doesn't matter exactly where you make the 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 change, but it matters to most people in the world. <laughs> so, so as a plant scientist, I want to reinforce your point because I've heard that other very good scientists say it that um, it doesn't matter so much where the genetic change is made. So some of the older techniques that introduce genes at, at random don't particularly worry you. No, they don't worry me at all. <laughs> but, uh, okay, this technique um, has other advantages. It's not only that you can uh, target a specific place in the genome, uh, but but you can also, for example, you, you can repair a mistake in the genome. Like a mutational like, error of some sort, right? Exactly. You can mm-hmm. repair it, and that you cannot do with, with the conventional techniques. Conventional techniques of transformation, of genetic engineering. Exactly. Okay. That's a good uh, point, by the way. Yes. You can also um, modify a little bit, for example... Uh, the activity or of some area in the genome mm-hmm. that you cannot do with conventional techniques. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can. It, it opens a, a, a much more uh, possibilities with this. However, I think that the the big uh, impact of this technique in genetic engineer engineering is uh, the fact that we can somehow. Um, Simulate what happens normally in nature. Mm, so that's a good point. Yeah. So people don't get that stressed about it when they will use it because most people think that nature doesn't make wrong things. <laughs> so <laughs> if we do exactly what nature does, but just faster, then basically we uh, uh, we. Um, Diminish the anxiety that that uh, the, that this technology uh, causes on on most people in the world. Yeah, yeah. So that's really really a good point. So with genome editing, uh, we can make very precise, minimal changes 
modest changes, tar- what's called targeted mutagenesis in, in the lingo of scientists. And uh, while, while introducing a, a, a whole gene construct in transformation, it doesn't worry you, and it, for that matter, it doesn't worry me either. Be, being able to do the very modest targeted changes um, is, is sort of a nod to public concerns about transformation, about genetic engineering. Is, that's the way I hear you saying that. Yes, and, and that means that uh, that can make a difference uh, on uh, from if a, uh, a crop can be commercialized or not, because mm-hmm. basically what what is uh, when we when we do research uh, on an area, we would like it that sometimes what you what you do of research can be used for someone or something. And most of the most of the research that has come out of the molecular biology labs so far hasn't been applied in into into agriculture. Mm-hmm. Most of it, mm-hmm. there's very 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 little of it. Yeah. There's a lot of, of of examples in laboratories that could be very useful and that could be very useful if they are introduced into normal crops and they they could be. Uh, available for 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 uh, for production and and they are not because mm-hmm. we cannot go through the 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 regulatory issues mm-hmm. yeah so that's a very profound uh, aspect of all this i think that anybody who studies all the traits that have been uh, created in research programs throughout the world and 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 so with almost almost all of them sitting on the shelf not being used we uh it it does it does give a person pause uh, because some of these traits are potentially really valuable to some people or for environmental protection for example um and we had a discussion today in class about the regulatory issues and and so uh, we we uh, the, the, we had, it was very fruitful and and the students could see all the requirements that a transgenic crop would have to fulfill in order to be accepted for use in Uruguay, and then when we you know when we we asked how many of the uh, these requirements would be required for a conventionally produced crop, they some some of them understood already through the course that there were no re- specific regulatory standards that would apply the way they to a conventionally bred crop um that that that, that apply to the transgenic crop so you 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 commented about that would you like to make any uh, comment about that aspect of it well that um as a country a small country with no big companies and that stuff mm-hmm. uruguay has no no hope on producing and commercializing any kind of uh, transgenic uh, f- uh, crop that is developed here. We depend completely on the uh, developments that are done in other places that have the possibility of going through these um, regulatory issues mm-hmm. and, and paying for it because it's very, very expensive. Mm. So the only thing that we can do is traditional breeding. Mm. And we are a country that depends 100% in agriculture. Mm-hmm. And we are not... Uh, we cannot... Uh, um, 
uh, we cannot develop our own um, crops. Yeah, genetically engineered crops. Exactly, yeah. with our own interests, because uh, we can we can only use those uh, character uh, traits mm-hmm. that are um, interesting for everywhere everyone mm-hmm. in the world. Right, right. Wow. Yeah. So that's pretty uh, pretty. Uh, important uh, aspect of all this you you know uruguay uh, can develop um traits that might be useful here in uruguay but um because of the regulatory uh, requirements being so extensive as they are as we've studied in our class together um you you it's it's very hard to imagine that you having enough you the uruguayans having enough resources to actually bring them to market exactly i don't think we have Yeah. Right now. Yeah. And I think it's quite general. Most of the laboratories in the world, especially those coming from public uh, uh, institutes, uh, have, have the same problem. It's not only Uruguay, actually. Yeah. I think in Europe and even in the U.S., it's only very, very big companies that can afford going through all these regulations. I, I think you're right. And, and so, yeah, that, that's, a, that's true. I think that uh, university labs can be great incubators for great um, genetic tools. And, uh, yeah, but, you know, a university lab or a university isn't going to have the, the tens of millions or, or more of dollars to do the regulatory, to meet the regulatory requirements, knowing that, of course, conventionally bred crops have um, no similar uh, system of regulation. So it's, an, it's, a, it's a, yeah, it's a, It's a challenge, I think, that uh, anybody who works in this area runs into. You, you, um, you, you mentioned to me before, you know, as we were talking before the interview, um, that uh, it, over the course of time, the uh, Uruguay has become a better, maybe a more friendlier, collaborative—that's the word—a collaborative place to uh, to work on on projects of joint interest. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Um, yes, I think in the last 10 years it has changed quite a lot. Um, at the beginning, I think, at the beginning of my, my, my life as a scientist in mm-hmm. Uruguay, I would say, um, I think it was much more difficult to, to talk or to collaborate between people coming from different areas. Uh, nowadays, I think... Um, In the last uh, 10 years, I would say, where national agencies for funding also have made a big effort to promote collaboration between different institutes. So, for example, uh, we have a collaboration with a breeding program of soybean and uh, breeders and uh, agronomists, and I am a biologist and my group, uh, my whole group are biologists or biochemists. And uh, I think what has changed basically from all sides has been the the knowledge that we uh, we don't know actually <laughs> much about what we are doing, and we need to complement our knowledge from others. When when I started as a working independently as a plant molecular biology, I thought I I. I could explain everything from the molecular point of view, mm-hmm. and I had no no knowledge whatsoever on on the pro, pro, uh, producing system and, and the agriculture by itself. 
And but I thought I had a lot of knowledge. <laughs> so yeah, so. As we all do, so, sometime in our life, we're all yeah. This is a very common story. <laughs> yes, but in the last years, I have uh, learned a lot about uh, other things that are not molecular biology, and I realized that ninety percent of the things that I thought they could be really useful, they're useless in real life. So. I, I, I learned um, to listen, probably, mm. <laughs> to listen to other points of view, I mean, uh, other points of view. And I think it has been from both, both sides, because I th the main problem always has been the interaction between uh, breeders and uh, molecular biologists. Nobody, none of them understood the other part. Mm. And now I think breeders have acknowledged the, that molecular biology can help them mm -hmm. to improve something. Okay. And we have acknowledged that we don't have the truth mm -hmm. of everything that we have to, yeah. uh, we have to learn. We have a lot to learn about yeah. from them. Boy, that's great. Yeah, I, I remember back in, uh, let's see, when did I, uh, yeah, 1988 was when I received my PhD. And when I first started working um, in at the university level as a professor and assistant professor i yeah there was there was still some evidence of sort of that tension that you know between molecular biologists and and the applied scientists like me and uh conventional breeders and you know agronomists there's there's all kinds of tensions there and uh, so you've kind of experienced a a a diminution of of those tensions and uh you've you've kind of shared what was part of it, part of this progress in, in your own story. Yes, uh, probably with a little bit delay in time with respect to the U.S., because here everything comes 10 or 15 years after. <laughs> never, it's never at the same time. We are always uh, um, late, yeah. around 10 or 15 years has it's been like that yeah. established <laughs> and uh, so we, we we still had this tension until uh, not so long <laughs> not so long time yeah, ago sure. but you, yes and and, and I, I want to highlight a word for for listeners that you shared as we again as we sort of prepped a little bit for the the interview and and you used the word humildad in spanish or humility in english and uh yeah, so say that. Say yes, say more. Well, the thing that we, we uh, you have to, you, well, my life has become easier since I decided to be a little bit more humble about my knowledge. <laughs> because otherwise I was just uh, n not understanding things. Mm. So I think everybody, everybody, has um, I don't know everybody, but it has you notice that people that really know about an area are more humble about what they know. People that don't know about an area, they are much more aggressive about their mm, knowledge, yeah. and they think that they really know much more than they do. So yeah. the more you know, I think you, the more you realize that you don't know. <laughs> probably <laughs> that is exactly what I was going to say. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's been my life experience as I've learned more in my areas of expertise. I, 
I, I've come to respect expertise, be, you know, for, 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 from from all the people that know all the other fields that I don't know. So yeah, so I really think uh, yeah, we really want to second your point about humility. I want to thank you very much, Sabina, for uh, for joining us. It's been a pleasure, and uh, yeah, it's been been, and I'm enjoying our class together. It's been a great experience. And thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Talking Biotech. Write a review on iTunes and tell a friend to listen, as your support allows us to deliver more about exciting science to more people. I'm Paul Vincelli, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Please send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review on iTunes and recommend this podcast to a friend. More downloads and reviews raise the visibility of this podcast and help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.